Aaron, James Ken, back home from uh, Bible College, and James is down front here, looking for Catherine, where'd she get to? There she is, hiding back there, so uh, we're glad to have the young people back from college, they both, both did well, praise the Lord for that, they didn't get kicked out or anything like that, and so we're very proud of them for that. I just want to read two verses that Tom read here just a few moments ago to set the stage for our message this morning. If you would notice with me, uh, verse number 8 and 9, the Bible says, The word of the Lord came unto him, that's Elijah, saying, Arise, get thee to Seraphath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. I'll share a few thoughts this morning on the subject, a widow mother and a prophet, a widowed mother and a prophet. Let's pray together, ask the Lord to speak to our hearts and uh, have his way in our lives. Father, we look to you now this morning. We do ask that you would speak to our hearts from your word. I thank you for the service this morning. Lord, we're very grateful for the men that prepared a breakfast for the mothers earlier. And then, Lord, the children's program honoring our mothers and the gifts we can give out. Lord, what a blessing it is. I'm grateful for this day. Now, Lord, as we look into your word, pray you'd open our hearts and minds. We pray your will would be done in our lives. I yield myself to you anew this morning, Lord. I present to you anew my body. I ask you to fill me with your spirit, that you would be the preacher, that you would be the speaker, and uh, you'd speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you study this portion of the Bible carefully, you find that at this point in time, the nation of Israel was under the leadership of one of the most ungodly couples that ever ruled a country. It was Ahab and Jezebel ruled the nation of Israel. They were kind of co-kings and queens, if you will. Seems like they almost both had equal authority. One thing we know for certain, they were equally ungodly. If you study the life of Ahab, if you study carefully the actions, the attitudes of Jezebel, you find that one thing characterized their lives, and that was this. They had a passion for self. They had a passion for themselves. Everything revolved around them. In the life of Ahab, everything revolved around Ahab. In the life of Jezebel, everything revolved around Jezebel. Every item, every person, every event, every experience was valued as to how it affected themselves. If it brought pleasure to their life, if it made them happy, if it advanced their agenda, then it was of great value. But if it didn't bring pleasure, if it didn't do something for them, if it didn't advance their agenda, then it was of little value. People, if they helped Ahab get what Ahab wanted, then they were of great value to him. If they didn't help him get what he wanted, then they were of little or no value. He had no problem executing them. So Ahab and Jezebel had a passion for themselves. Everything in their life was valued by how it affected them. Uh, Everything in their life, other people, other things were used to advance their agenda, to bring pleasure to themselves. And so Ahab and Jezebel, as I said, were probably the most ungodly couple that no doubt ever ruled Israel, probably ever ruled any nation. An ungodly couple. Every time I read through their lives, I get mad, you know, and they aggravate me and uh, just by their selfishness. The truth of the matter is this. Every one of us have a great passion for something. 
We all have a passion for something, and if you're going to boil it down, it boils down to a great passion for one of two things. Either we are passionate about ourselves, or we are passionate for the Savior. It's one of those two things. God has created us with a need for Himself. God created Adam and Eve with a need for Himself. Someone put it this way. There is a God-shaped hole in the heart of every person. There is a vacuum in the life of every person that only the Lord can fill. And so we are created with an innate, uh, a natural passion for the Lord, but sin came into the world. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Through one man, sin entered the world. And when man replaced God in his life, when man replaced his passion for God with a passion for himself, an emptiness came in. And so there's this restlessness there. Uh, Restlessness there. (laughs) Say that five times fast. But it's true. Uh, There's a, a passion for self. Every one of us sitting here this morning, every one of us, either we, either self is on the throne of my heart and life, or the Savior. A passion for self, a desire to please myself, a priority of advancing my agenda and getting my way, that passion will produce an apathy towards the things of God. You find a person who's in love with himself. You find a person who everything revolves around them. You find that person, you'll find they're very indifferent to the Lord. The Lord, oh, they'll talk about them. They'll, they'll have a few little things there. They'll sing some songs along. They'll show up at church and whatnot. But when that passion for self is there, there's an indifference to the things of God. Suddenly, the Lord's not so very important anymore. Because I now am the center of my life. I like the way the one preacher put it. Edith was surrounded on the north, south, east, and west by Edith. (laughs) In other words, everything revolved around herself. And so, uh, a passion for self, when we become self-absorbed, when everything is valued by whether it brings pleasure to me or not, when everything is valued, whether it advances my agenda or not, whether it pleases me or not, when that becomes true in our lives, suddenly the things of the Lord are not so important to us. Suddenly, whether we go to church Sunday night is very up in the air. Huh? Somebody help me now. Suddenly, whether I read my Bible every day or not is not nearly as important because self is on the throne. Suddenly, whether I'm a witness, whether my actions and my attitude, my words, my behavior, whether that helps other people come to Christ or not, whether that is a good testimony of the grace and love of our Lord Jesus Christ, suddenly that's not so important anymore. The important thing is I get my way. The important thing is, is that I'm happy, that I'm satisfied, that my needs are being met. I really don't matter. It doesn't matter so much whether I'm a good testimony for the Lord or not. That is a passion for self. And that is what characterized Adam and, uh, uh, Ahab and Jezebel. They were passionate about themselves. Therefore, the things of the Lord became uh, very secondary. They became indifferent. Idolatry flooded the land. Uh, uh, fornication, adultery became the norm in the country and the country became very, very ungodly. But on the other hand, when we get to the point where we have a passion for the Savior, 
When we get a point where we are in love with Jesus Christ, He is the Lord of my life, He is the, uh, the priority of my life, everything in my life revolves around the, the Savior rather than me, then we get indifferent towards the things of self. Suddenly it's not so important whether I get my way or not. Suddenly it's not so important whether I'm treated with respect or not. Suddenly it's not so important whether my agenda is fulfilled when my passion is for the Savior. Now the important thing is that Jesus is glorified. Now the important thing that the Lord's agenda is fulfilled. The things of God become priority. So a passion. We're all passionate about something. Either we're passionate about ourselves and however that may manifest itself or we're passionate about the Savior. Ahab and Jezebel were passionate about themselves. Everything revolved around them, and it affected the entire country. And in the midst of this selfishness, in the midst of this sin and idolatry that saturated the land under the leadership of Ahab and Jezebel, God raised up a remarkable uh, prophet. The prophet's name is Elijah. And Elijah was a fascinating man. He had the power of God upon him, as very few other prophets did. He had a message from God that he declared boldly, that he declared without fear, and had an impact on an entire nation. Notice with me, if you would, verse number 1 in 1 Kings chapter 17. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab... Now here's this ungodly king. He's in love with himself. Everything is self, self, self. Look what Elijah, his very first message, he shows up on the scene here for the first time, and notice what he says, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, he's preaching to the king, there shall not be uh, dew nor rain these three years, but according to my word. Elijah shows up on the scene in the midst of this ungodly nation, preaching judgment preaching the judgment of God on the sins of this land and the sins of this king. You know, it's interesting. doesn't matter how ungodly things get. doesn't matter how morally dark things get. God always has His man. God always raises up. You read through the Bible, in every generation, God raises up a man of God to declare the words of God. God always has His man. God always raises up somebody for each generation. I thank God for uh, uh, the coming generation. How many folks here ever made a statement, either this statement or something like it? Oh, kids these days are a mess. Anybody? Uh, can I get a witness? We complain a lot about the generation that we live in, the, the coming generation. Can I just make a few statements about that? Number one, they are what we produced. Huh? They are what we produce. Children today are not born any more sinners than they were a hundred years ago. They're, no, they're not born with a more sinful nature than you and I were born with, or our grandparents were born with, or our great-great-great-grandparents were born with. We're all born with a sinful nature. But the difference is they are being raised differently. And that's what produces the difference. So when we say, talk about how terrible the young people are today, I think we better stop and look in the mirror. It's what we produced. It's our actions that allowed it. The second thing I like to point out when we make those statements and we think that way, you know, they're not all bad. 
They're not all bad. Every generation, God raises up men and women that love Him, that are faithful to Him, that are true to the Word of God. You say, aren't you worried about the future of the church? Don't you think someday it's just going to get so worldly and so liberal that the church won't even exist? Oh, no, no. Jesus promised the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Until that trumpet sounds, Jesus comes back. There will be a church. There will be churches across the land faithful to the Word of God. So I look into the the experience, the condition in Israel, and you see so much ungodliness. And if you read the chapters before and after, you see so much worldliness and uh, uh, sin just saturating society from the leadership all the way on down. But in the midst of that, God raises up Elijah. God raises up a man who loves the Lord, who has a passion for God, and is committed to Him. You know, the most revealing thing about a person, whether it's a man or a woman, the most revealing thing about that person is their view of God. You find out how a person views God, and that will tell you a whole lot about that person. What their attitude is, what they, how they see the Lord's relationship in their life, how they see their, re, their responsibilities before God. You tell me, you show me that person's view of God, and I can learn a whole lot about that person. If that person has a small view of God, he's just some thing that's insignificant, that really doesn't have a whole lot to do with my life, I found a person who's living for self. I found a person who God is the most important thing in my life. He's holy. He's pure. He's all-powerful. I answer to Him. His Word is true. I'm responsible to Him. Boy, you learn a lot about a person. So the most revealing thing about a person is their view about God. You know what? The most revealing thing about a church is that church's view of God. Huh? You tell me a church's attitude towards God. You tell me their view of God. I can tell you a whole lot about that church. If God's Word is just incidental, yeah, we know, yeah, we believe the Bible, but, you know, we just think you can do it this way. Hold it. Be careful about that. Amen? And so our view of the Lord, whether as individuals, as a church, or as a nation, tells us a whole lot about ourselves. Our, and, and so the most revealing thing about a person is their view of God. The most significant message that a person can give is what they say about God. We talk about a lot of important things. This is an election year. And all kinds of issues are being discussed. The environment, economy, gas prices, war. And these are important issues. I don't deny that. I'm saying to you, the message of God to mankind so far exceeds the important importance the messages that any politician has. You tell me a man's message about God, that's the most important thing he has to say. Most important Mount Lake Independent Baptist Church has to say to Garrett County, surrounding areas of the entire world, is what God has told us in His Word. That's our message. That's our message. So Elijah shows up on the scene. He has a clear Accurate view of God. And it's visible in his life. Elijah shows up on the scene and he has a biblical message from God. And he declares it to the King Ahab and to the people of the land. And God's hand is on him. And God used him in a powerful, powerful way. In 1 Kings chapter 17, the passage that Brother Tom read from, we find Elijah... He's in an ungodly nation. He has a very clear, accurate view of God, a biblical perspective on who and what God is. 
He's a very clear, accurate, biblical message. God judges sin. God will not let this nation get away with her sin. God will not let the, the nation of Israel get away with her idolatry. God will not tolerate that sin forever. He will deal with it. Judgment is coming. That's the message of Elijah to Israel. By the way, that's God's message to America today. America cannot continue in sin and reject God and reject the Word of God and not face the judgment of God someday. We cannot go on in sin and sodomy. Uh, we were talking in Sunday school and we gave out some information. By the way, if you're from West Virginia, we have information on people running for office on their position on abortion and, and right to life and all that type of stuff. If you're interested, you live in West Virginia, your primaries are this week, we have some information to help you understand where the position these people are on. And by the way, every Christian should vote. And number two, every Christian should vote their biblical conscience. Amen. That make a difference. And uh, we're explaining in Sunday school, we brought up the subject and touched on the subject that uh, the most dangerous place, statistically speaking, the most dangerous place in the world is in the womb of a mother in the United States of America. More people, I didn't say fetuses, more people are killed in the wombs of their mother in one day in the United States of America than are killed in an entire year in the nation of Iraq. And God will only tolerate that so long. Blood is on the hands of the United States of America. Now don't misunderstand. I love America. Don't misunderstand. I'm as patriotic and loyal to this country as anybody, but I'm praying that God has mercy on America. and sends revival. And Elijah shows up. He has a clear view of the holiness of God. He has a clear view of God's coming judgment on this nation. And he declares that message. And he comes in contact with a lady. This man of God, this fearless man of God with the power of God on his life, God directs him to a widowed woman. And God is going to use Elijah to teach a mother about himself. God is going to use a prophet of God to teach a dear widowed mother about the Lord. It's not a very long encounter. Significant, a number of events take place. But it's interesting, as this woman sees the hand of God on the life of Elijah, she learns some things about the Lord. You know, it's more often what people do rather than what they say that impacts others. We're talking about mothers. Thank God for godly mothers. I think every person needs a godly mother. Every person needs a mother who loves the Lord, believes the Bible. But you know what I've found? I've found that it's the things that people do that impact others more than what they say. It is my lifestyle that has more of an impact on my family and my boys than the things I say. You can go home and preach your lungs out to your kids, but if you're not living it, it's not going to, make a, it's not going to matter a hill of beans. You can nag your husband all you want, but if you're not living the Christian life, it's not going to have much impact. Husbands, you can, uh, you can try and intimidate your wives into this, that, and the other, but if you're not living for God, it's not going to have much of an impact. And so Elijah shows up and this widow woman watches him. She sees his behavior. Now she hears what he says. But the things he does and what God does through him has a powerful impact on her. 
And I want us to notice a few things just briefly this morning about this widow. Number one, I noticed that she was sensitive to the Lord's leadership in her life. She was sensitive to the Lord's leadership in her life. As far as we know, in fact, we know very little about this woman. All we know is that she was poor. All we know is that she was apparently just an ordinary lady who had lost her husband and because of the famine was on hard times and she was hurting. We don't read that she was any great woman of prayer. Uh, This past week I was reading my devotions and got to 1 Samuel and I read about Hannah. And I thought about preaching on Hannah this this morning. What a great woman of prayer Hannah was. She prayed for a son. She got a hold of God. She was misunderstood, but she prayed. God heard her prayers and answered them and gave her Samuel, who became a great prophet in himself. But this dear widow woman here, we don't read that she was a great woman of prayer. doesn't tell us anything really about her prayer life. So we study this woman here. We don't know a whole lot about her. She was poor. She had lost her husband to death in some way. We don't read that she was necessarily a great woman of courage. I was thinking about Deborah. How many people remember reading about Deborah in the Old Testament? Boy, what a warrior Deborah was. A great, courageous, uh, almost a leader in some ways, a better leader than a lot of men. And Deborah was a woman who was known for her courage in battle and her, her courage in leading God's people to war. But you don't read that about this widow woman. We don't read any fantastic prayer life about her. We don't see any real significant courage about her. Um, she's not even necessarily, Now I need to probably qualify this a little bit, but she's not even really necessarily a woman of great faith like Esther was. How many people remember the story of Esther? And what a woman of faith. If I perish, I perish. And uh, she just casts herself on the Lord. And uh, we don't read that so much about this woman here. She's just an ordinary woman. She has a sad story. She lost her husband, as I said, to some tragedy somehow. Now she's poor. She's about to prepare the last meal of her and her son. She sees no hope of living. There's not a real great courage here. There's not great prayer life seen here. Just a woman. But she was an ordinary woman with an extraordinary sensitivity to God's leadership in her life. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 9. This is God speaking to Elijah, and look what he says. He says, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Now look at this next statement. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. I've read my Bible. I studied this back and forth. I can't find anywhere where God tells this woman to take care of Elijah. But God says, I've commanded her to sustain thee. How did God do that? How did this woman get to the point where God had directed her to take care of Elijah? Come down, if you would, to verse number 15. Well, let's look at verse 14. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. Now look at verse 15. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. Here is a woman. I don't know how God spoke to her. Elijah shows up. He makes a, uh, what we might say, an unrealistic 
requirement of her. She's got a little bit of meal, a little bit of oil. She's going to prepare the last meal. Her and her son are going to die. Elijah says, make, a, make some cakes for me first. Use the little bit of food you have. Feed me first. Then, uh, uh, then uh, you'll be taken care of. And she trusts him and she obeys him. Somehow, this woman was sensitive and saw God's hand in what was taking place in her life. She was sensitive to the leadership of God in her life. God, give us some mothers who are sensitive to God's Word. God, give us some fathers, some teenagers who are sensitive to the Word of God. When God speaks to their heart, even though it may not seem to make sense, they trust God and obey Him. And this woman was sensitive to the Lord's leadership. God speaks, we trust and obey. Uh, Somebody comes, a mother, a father, a teenager, comes to a church service. The preacher preaches the Word of God. The Spirit of God deals with the heart of that person and they realize that they're a sinner before a holy God and because of their sin, they're condemned to to judgment and eternity separated from God in a lake of fire. And God speaks to their heart and they recognize that. They're sensitive to the Lord's leadership and they respond in faith and they trust Christ accept Jesus as their Savior. Sensitive to the leadership of God. I've seen it so many times over the years in the ministry. I'll preach a message from God's Word. The Spirit of God's dealing with hearts. I'm thinking of one person in particular was in uh, this church building a number of years ago, a good number of years ago. I preached the Word of God. They came one Sunday morning. I gave the invitation to come and trust Christ as Savior. And this person stood there and did not budge. I talked to them at the back. I knew they were unsaved. They had told me on a previous visitation that they were unsaved. They did not come forward. I spoke to them at the back. They thanked me. The next week they came back. They came to church again. They stood there. I gave the, I gave the invitation. They stood there. I can see them fidgeting, fidgeting around. I knew that God was dealing with their heart. I didn't come forward. Spoke to them in the back a little bit. They left unsaved. The next week they came back again. This went on for about a month. Finally, one Sunday morning I preached. I explained how to be saved. I gave them the invitation for folks to come forward. This person, and they got, and it's the same old story, they're holding on to the pew there. I knew I could tell God was dealing with their heart. And finally, they had a person with them. Finally, they started to step out to come out and come forward to trust Christ. They had raised their hand. They needed to be saved. Started to step out. The person beside them grabbed them by the hand and pulled them back. They wouldn't come out. I tried to catch them at the back and share the gospel. One talk, and they've not come back since then. Was he sensitive to the Spirit of God? God was dealing with his heart. He knew he needed to be saved. The Spirit of God was bearing witness with his spirit that he needed to trust Christ. But somebody interfered. This dear lady was sensitive to the Lord's leadership. God says, I've commanded her to sustain thee. I don't know how God commanded her to do that. I don't know how she got that message from God. But when the situation showed up, she knew this was of God and she responded and did what God said. Now listen, I don't know what God may be speaking to your heart about this morning. Whether you're a mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, teenager, child. I don't know what God may speak in your heart about this morning, but I know this, if God speaks to your heart, you ought to trust Him, you ought to obey Him. When God touches your heart, you're here this morning, you don't know for sure your sins are forgiven on your way to heaven, and you hear from the Word of God that you need to be saved, the Spirit of God bears witness with your spirit, yes, you need to trust Christ. I'm saying to you this morning, the best thing in the world for you to do is do what this woman did and respond to the Spirit of God when He speaks to your heart. That's why we give invitations. Somebody, I spoke to somebody this week, I don't remember who it was. And they said, boy, the thing we appreciate about Mountain Lake Independent Baptist Church, every time the, the word is preached, there's an invitation given. Respond. You know why? Because we want people to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. 
I spoke to a preacher friend of mine just yesterday. He says, you know, I was just preaching somewhere recently. He said, I preached for a week of meetings. And he said, every invitation, nobody responds. He said, nobody come forward to the altar. A whole week of meetings, nobody comes to the altar, nobody comes to the altar. Now, one of two things are true. Either, either God's Holy Spirit is not speaking, or God's people aren't sensitive to the Spirit of God speaking. Now, I'm not saying everyone should come to the altar every time, but I am saying this, we ought to be sensitive to God's speaking in our life. When the Word of God applies to us, has something to do with us, we ought to respond in trust and obedience. That's what this dear lady did. She was sensitive to the leadership of, of God's leadership in her life. And the second thing I notice about her, and the last thing for this morning is, I noticed that God had a specific plan for her life. God had a specific plan. Again, look at verse number, uh, verse number 8. And the word of the Lord came unto him, Elijah said, Get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman. He said, I've got a specific woman at this place who is designed, her plan, her purpose is to take care of you. God had a very specific plan for her life. Now keep your place here if you would, and if you would, turn with me to the New Testament book of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Now, I want you to see this portion of Scripture. Luke chapter number 4. Luke 4. I'm going to read verses 25 and 26. Luke chapter 4. Jesus is speaking. Verse, verse 24, he says, verily, verily, I, verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But look at verse 25. But I tell you the truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias. Now, that, that word Elias there, that name, that is the New Testament pronunciation of the Old Testament title, Elijah. So don't get confused. That's simply the New Testament spelling, uh, the Greek spelling. So I tell you the truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when the great famine was throughout all the land. But look at verse 26. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. What's he saying? God is saying that, Jesus is saying here, that God could have sent Elijah to any number of widows. There were scores of them. But God sent Elijah to this very specific widow. God had a plan for her life. God had something that she was designed, and all her circumstances had brought her to the point where God could use her to illustrate His power and to advance His message into the nation of Israel. God had a very specific plan. And so let's make sure we turn off our phones and gadgets and gizzards. I'm going to have to get somebody to sit over here because every service I have to stop because of talking going on over here. So I'm going to need somebody to help, maybe. I'm sorry for that. God had a very specific plan and purpose for this woman. Her circumstances that led up to this point had brought her to the place where God could use her to advance His kingdom. Regardless of our background, regardless of our education, regardless of our financial standing, God has a very specific plan and purpose for each of us. Now, God's plan for one person is not the same as another. There were scores of widows in Israel. And God had chosen this woman for this very specific plan. Does that mean He didn't have a plan for the other widows? Oh no, He had planned for them also. But it wasn't this specific issue. 
God's plan for every, God has a plan for every person in this building right here, right now. Some people, I had a young person years ago, and this is what prompted me to think this. I had a young person years ago, back in the middle 80s, said to me, uh, they called me uh, Brother Denny then, back then. Um, don't call me Brother Denny now, please. It's Dr. Denny to you. <laughs> no. Uh, this young person came to me and uh, they said this. They said, my life wasn't planned. My birth was not planned. I was an accident. I was outside of wedlock. And um, uh, my mom decided to have me. And they made this statement. They said, my life has no purpose, no plan. I'm just an accident. Listen, in man's, humanly speaking, that may be true. But as far as God's concerned, it's no accident. When life is conceived, a purpose is given. A plan is made. And so God has a plan for every individual person here. God has something He has created you and I for. He has given us life for a very specific plan and purpose. Now the important thing is for us to be sensitive to the Lord's leadership like this widow woman was so that God can lead us and direct us and He can use us for that plan and purpose He has for us. Um, Just for sake of illustration, I am absolutely convinced that God created me and gave me life for this time in my life to be pastor of Mount Lake Independent Baptist Church. There's no doubt in my mind that this is, this is the plan, this is God's purpose for my life. Now what about you? Are you in the plan of God? Are you where God wants you to be? You say, how do I know that? We know that by getting in the Word of God, get under the teaching and preaching of the Word of God, and God uses His Word, the Spirit of God deals with our heart to lead us and direct us, get us doing the things that God wants us to do, get us being the kind of person God wants us to be, and then God uses us to fulfill that purpose. Now, I can tell you a few things. You say, Brother Lemon, what's God's plan for my life? I can't tell you the specifics. But I can tell you some general things. I know this, number one, God's plan for you is that you get saved. God is not willing that any should perish. It is God's will that every single man, woman, and child come to the point in their life, they recognize their sinner, and they accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I know it is God's will. You're here this morning, and you cannot honestly say that you know your sins are forgiven. You cannot honestly say that you know that Jesus Christ has saved you, given you new life, that someday you'll be in heaven. You can't say that based on the Word of God. It is God's plan. It is God's will. It is God's intention for you to trust Jesus Christ today. You say, how do you know he wants me to get saved today? The Bible says, behold, day is the day, this day is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. I want you to be saved. If you're here this morning, you're not saved. So I don't know the specifics in your life, but I do know, generally speaking, God wants everybody saved. I know, second of all, generally speaking, God's plan is for everyone to serve the Lord. God has a ministry for you. God had a ministry for this widow. She's poor, uneducated. She doesn't have exceptional faith. She doesn't have exceptional courage. She doesn't have any kind of exceptional prayer life. But God wants to use her. God has a ministry for her in uh, using and uh, in, in ministering to this prophet so he can display to the nation of Israel the power of God and God's ability to meet their needs if they'll just trust him. And so God had a ministry for this lady and God has a ministry for everyone here. I don't know specifically what that ministry would be, it's not God's will that everybody sing in the choir, but it is God's will that some do. Is it God's will for you to sing in the choir? Is that God's plan for your life? Uh, God has a, has a place for every one of us. Uh, God's will uh, may not be teaching Sunday school or working in the children's church for everybody, but it is for some people. I, it's God's will that somebody work in the bus ministry. We desperately need workers in the bus ministry. 
We've got towns, Terre Haute, Crowan, uh, Oakland, Mountain Lake Park. We ran buses for years. There's nothing running there now. You tell me God doesn't have a burden for those towns? You tell me God doesn't? Well, yes, He does. God's stirring heart. God's works in heart. God has a ministry for each of Is it for everybody working in bus ministry? No, not everybody, but somebody. It's a ministry for all of us. And God, this woman was sensitive to the Lord's leadership in her life, and God has a very specific plan in her life. If you're still in Luke, turn over with me, and I'll end with this. John chapter 15 and verse number 16. John 15 and verse number 16. It is God's will that every one of us, God has a plan for every one of our lives, and part of that is having a ministry serving others. Serving others. Notice John chapter 15 and verse number 16. If this, not, if this is not underlined in your Bible, this would be a good verse to underline your Bible. Ye have not chosen me, Jesus speaking. Now let me point out here, he's not talking about salvation here. He's talking about ministry. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth what? Fruit. And that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Do you notice what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, I've chosen you. I have a plan for your life. I have a ministry for your life. I have a very specific service that I've created you for to serve me and advance the kingdom of God, advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is that you go forth and bring fruit. Years ago, in, I believe it was Kentucky, there was a Sunday school teacher. She was a fairly elderly lady, I believe. Her name was Daisy Halls. She had a small Sunday school class in a small church down in Kentucky. So just a handful of students. Every Sunday morning at the end of her Sunday school class, she would explain to the children something like this. Now we're all sinners. Jesus died for our sins so that we could be saved from sin and hell. Young people, if you'll trust Jesus as your Savior, He'll forgive you and save you and give you a new life. She did that every Sunday morning. Daisy Halls, an unknown lady, not known for exceptional faith, not known for exceptional courage, not known for an exceptional prayer life, just a Sunday school teacher in a poor town, in a little church in Kentucky. One Sunday morning there was a visitor, a nine-year-old boy. He sat down, he listened to the lesson, and just like she does, did every Sunday morning, she said, young people, Jesus loves you, we're all sinners. He died for our sins, he was buried and rose again. If you ask Jesus to come in your heart and life, He'll forgive you and save you. You know you're going to heaven. If you've not done that, raise your hand. That nine-year-old boy visiting that Sunday school class raised his hand. She took him at the end of class and sat down with him. She went through the plan of salvation. That nine-year-old boy bowed his head, trusted Jesus as Savior. That nine-year-old boy's name was Dr. Lee Robertson. God called him to preach, raised him up. Tennessee Temple University, Highland Park Baptist Church, Worldwide Missions. He's with the Lord now. Just a simple woman, not highly educated, not wealthy, but just God had a plan for her. And she was sensitive to what the Lord's will for her, was her, for her in her life, and she let the Lord use her, and God used her to raise up a great man of God. Now, I don't know what God's position He has for you, but I do know this, He wants to use us. He wants to save you. He wants to use you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask, Lord, you'd take this message somehow and speak to a heart. I pray, Father.